Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 100. Back in August of 2017, I was in Fort Myers, Florida, watching the rain cancel a golf tournament I was about to play in. And over some beers, I asked some friends that were watching the rain as well a very simple question. What do you think about me starting a golf podcast? Well, after a few months of research and preparation, the first episode of The Back of the Range was launched on January 3rd, 2018. The audio quality was marginal at best. Your host was quite nervous. But the episode got posted, and you all seemed to think it, you know, really wasn't that bad. So I kept plugging along, and if you listen to any of the first 20 to 25 episodes, they were all friends that I made through Amateur Golf in South Florida that were kind enough to help me out and get this thing started. Since then, I've been fortunate enough to speak with several U.S. mid-amateur champions like Stuart Hagestad, Shannon Johnson, and Scott Harvey. Superstar amateurs like Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, and Brandon Wu that have since turned professional. Legends of the game like Bob Toskey, Bob Murphy, and Jay Sigel. Guys chasing the dream of making it on the PGA Tour like Steve Lebrun, Will Zalatoris, and Dan McCarthy. College coaches that you'll see at the NCAA Championship for many years to come, like Alan Bratton and Conrad Ray. And the everyday amateurs like you and me that, well, maybe don't play like you and me. They've accomplished some amazing things in the game that I felt need to be highlighted. Guys like Rick Wolf, Mike Finster, and Geronimo Esteve. And what about those senior amateurs that have racked up 30, 40, even 50 USGA appearances like Gene Elliott, Mike McCoy, and Chip Lutz. I've also been able to talk to Walker Cup legends like Jim Holtgrieve and the current captain, Nathaniel Crosby. Speaking of the Walker Cup, incredibly, the Back of the Range Golf podcast allowed me to partner up with AmateurGolf.com this year, and I spent an entire week covering the Walker Cup at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. Spent lots of time with the U.S. team, made new friends with the USGA and the RNA, can't thank Pete Ludkowski and the entire crew over at AmateurGolf.com for their support, and my pal Dan McCoy for all the help that week. There are so many people that have helped out along the way. Mitch Phillip has provided incredible voiceover work since day one. Rogue Theory came up with a great rendition of our theme music. My friends at Blue Collar Press in Lawrence, Kansas for the great trucker hats. State golf associations from Iowa, New York, Florida, really all over the country. All the great collegiate programs that have supported the podcast and provided coaches and players to be guests. Speaking of guests, all of them that have shared their time, stories, and passion for the game of golf, can't thank them enough. And finally, thanks to everyone that has taken the time to listen to the back of the range. Whether you've been listening since episode one, or maybe this is your first episode, the support, the text, the messages on Instagram, Sending pictures of your golf bag with a back-of-the-range towel on it, it has all contributed to the success of this podcast. Please continue to leave reviews in Apple Podcasts. I can't stress enough how important that is. I appreciate everyone that has already done that. Remember, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode, all the links to our social media channels are available at thebackoftherange.com. You can get my email address there as well. Would love to hear any thoughts that you have. 
So, on to this week's guest, our 100th episode, John Spider Miller from Bloomington, Indiana. Spider was an absolute blast to speak with. I got to meet him at the Walker Cup. He immediately said that he would be a guest on the podcast. It seems that every time I mention Spider's name, everyone says, man, love that guy, or he's the man. What really drew me into his story and what I think makes him the perfect guest for a 100th episode is that he started from humble beginnings and made it to the pinnacle of amateur golf. Spider grew up as a caddy. He worked at the driving range at Indiana University, and then he went and got a job. He's a beer distributor. This is just a beer guy from Indiana that went on to win two U.S. Mid-Amateur Championships, played in the Masters, was friends with Arnold Palmer, and ended up as a Walker Cup captain. It just doesn't get much better than that. So, Spider, thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing good. And how are you today? I am, uh, I'm thrilled that I get the chance to talk to you. It's funny, you know, the name of the podcast is The Back of the Range, and before we started recording, you said that right after this year, you're going out to the range. So talk, so talk me through what a young man of your age does on the range to work on your game and to get things, uh, get things in working order for your next, uh, your next match. Well, I've always been a, a range, uh, a holic. In fact, when I was in college many years, many years ago, I ran the driving range at, uh, Indiana university and I worked full time. And I uh, went to school part-time. That's how I finished. And uh, ever since then, I've been addicted to the range. So I'm going to go feed my addiction here in the room All right. So let me ask you about that. You graduated from Indiana in 1973. You're a member of the Indiana Golf Association Hall of Fame, inducted in 2000, but never played one round of golf for the Indiana golf team. That's, uh, that's right. So I came to school in uh, 68 worked a couple of years and then they instituted the lottery for the draft and when i realized that i wasn't going to be drafted i went uh went to work i'm one of 11 kids and i told my pop that i would take care of myself he didn't have to worry about me so i worked and i worked for a couple of years built up some money and went back to indiana and uh got a job with the golf coach full-time and finished school part-time I always had to work. I was a worker bee. Yeah. So, and sounds like you still are with, uh, with, with what your day's been like. It sounds like you got to take a break from staining your deck to talk some golf. So I'm glad to, glad I was able to pull you away from that. <laughs> Believe me, I'm happy you did as well. Does running the driving range for the, for Indiana university, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, was that kind of like a team manager kind of a thing or was this just your, I mean, what, what were your responsibilities? Well, I can tell you that we had a, we had a range and a very big one and, uh, and a little shack. And I had a, the, you know, the little caution things, they sit out the little yellow, or yeah. the orange thing. I sat those on either side of the very first bay in front of the door. And I would stand there and hit balls until someone wanted to buy a bucket of balls, and I'd follow them in the shed, take their money, give them a bucket, and follow them out the door and start hitting balls again. I, I can't believe <laughs> so, so let me see if I understand this. The, the, the kid running the driving range at Indiana goes on to be a Walker Cup captain and, and, you, and two-time USGA champion. Is that what you're saying, well, Spider? 
I would say that's an accurate assessment of how, but I, I started golf earlier than that. I began as a caddy in grade school. Okay. And I started playing when I was probably five or six years old. This is uh, this is exactly what this is. You are the you are the exact story that this podcast is is was created for. I mean, this is absolutely for, perfect, and not just you know, the the kid running the, the range, but a beer man out of Bloomington, Indiana, gets to play in the Masters twice. Now, who believes that? Yeah, it's kind of. Sometimes I don't believe it myself. I I tell people that the years that I won, the the good players were all home with the flu. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna, <laughs> Mr. Modesty. We got to work on that, but that's okay. Um, so I, I want to make sure I hit on a few things because you have so many great stories. But I, I want to make sure we don't skip anything. We're we're gonna talk a little bit about your experience as a Walker Cup captain, also as a player in '99. But I, I also want to, you know, talk a little bit about your playing career. But let me see if there's a story here, and I'm completely fishing. But you are a two-time winner of the Gasparilla Invitational in Tampa, Florida, at Palmasia. I'm a native uh-huh. Floridian. I know you spend time in Florida, too. They are in no way related to this podcast whatsoever, but do you have perhaps a Burns Steakhouse story from Tampa? I, well, my friend who uh, who coaxed me into playing in the Gasparilla was a guy named Walter Bolton, and Walter was an insurance agent there in Tampa, and his nickname was Balls, Balls Baldwin. Okay. <laughs> He was one of the funniest guys I've ever known. And yes, I've been to Burns with him. First time I came down there, our uh, airline flew into St. Pete and I told him to pick me up in Tampa. So he's over there in Tampa waiting for me and I get off. I call him. I said, where are you, boss? He said, I'm over here at the airport. He called, airport, (laughs) waiting for you, boy. I said, I'm here waiting on you. He's, and then when he figured out where I was, of course, he had to give me a message. Y'all. What an amazing golf course. Tight, short, and very tight, yep. you know. I have, I've played in the Gasparilla once, and, yeah, it is a very short course. But, uh, no, it, uh, it's, it's got plenty out there uh, to, to grab you with. So, as I said, Indiana, uh, you know, so many accomplishments that you've had. You know, player of the year, mid-am champ, four-ball champ, you know, all the – all the different accomplishments, you know, a lot of people that listen to our podcast are involved in their state golf associations, you know, to get where you, to, to accomplish things on a national level. Uh, I think I would, I'm sure you would agree. You have to have some solid state association behind you. Uh, how important was the Indiana golf association to your success? A very important Ben. Uh, I started playing in the uh, Indiana golf association events, probably, Right after I started working, and I played in about everything that I could, the things that I was that I qualified for, and uh, always played in our state amateur and tried to had to qualify qualify for our state open, and our state four ball, and our state mid amateur. I I played in a lot of them, and and honestly, that's what really uh, fired me up to play competitive golf. And then when I qualified. For the U.S. Mid-Amateur, the first one was in Atlanta, and I got beat in the playoff to go to the match play, and I told myself, you know what, I can win this thing, and then I went to the, I think, the quarterfinals in Detroit, the year Danny Yates won, Corville beat me one up, and then I won a couple times shortly after that. 
you picked up the win in 96. And, you know, what's so interesting about this is that, you know, I, I spoke to Hulk Reeve, who won the very first one in 81. And yes. Then, He's an old dude. I'm not near as old as he is. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to make sure that he knows that, that you said that. But I'm sure, he, I, I'm sure he's going to be aware of that. But, but, you know, what's so interesting is that at the time, you know, you're a two-time winner, but you're winning these at the ages of like 46 and 48. And, and before, um, you know, before Randall Lewis became the oldest, he won, uh, you know, he won the in 2011. He was at 54. That was more the anomaly. He just won that. But you at the for for longest time were the oldest champion of that U.S. mid amateur. You just mentioned like, OK, I can win this thing. But at, at that age, when did it become apparent to you like, OK, I'm kind of running out of time or did you even feel that way? No, I never. You know, honestly, I never thought about that. When I was in my late 40s, I felt as good as I did in my 20s. Uh, So I never, ever thought about that ever. Just, you know, just uh, never entered my mind. You, uh, I guess I was an old man to win. Like I said, all the good players, especially the young ones, obviously were sick that year. Okay. Um, those years. Okay. What, um, <laughs> what about, uh, so obviously winners of the U S mid amateur, uh, are, are given the invite to play in the masters. And for people that are kind of listening and, and look, listening to the year that you won, you get to play in the 97 masters, which was tiger's first victory, first major championship. So a couple questions I have to ask you for that. You know, you're invited to the amateur dinner and, I don't know the answer to this, but Tiger was Tiger able to go to the amateur dinner as the 96 U.S. amateur champion, or was he not invited to that dinner because he declared professional? He was not there. Okay. So I guess the answer would be they didn't invite him, or if they did invite him, he, he chose not to come. I don't know. I'm guessing that he was not invited because he was a professional. Yeah. That would be my best guess, but he was not there. I, I would pretty much guarantee you it was because he had already turned pro. Yeah. So you had just, it was, a, it was just the four of you. It was, you know, you and Steve Scott, who, who later was on that 99 Walker cup team with you. And then, you know, Hogarth, the public links champ, and then Warren Bladden, who was the uh, British amateur champion. So it's just the four of you. Uh, what, what's the amateur dinner like? I think both times, but certainly the first time, Charlie Yates was alive and he spoke to us and he's a terrific guy, wonderful man, a great uh, career. And it was just uh, kind of mesmerizing listening to him. And, and that's kind of as much as I remember. It was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I don't know how it is today, whether they have more people and, and or more members attend, but, I, as I recall, that was small, a small group. Yeah, and, just, just uh, the four of you. Sergio was in one. I don't know. He must have been in the second one. He was. And so, Hank, it, yeah. And and Hank Keeney. Yeah, 99. That was the, the amateur class. was, And then and Trevor Immelman was there. And I, <laughs> I was able to, you know, I talked to one of the guys that was on your uh, Walker Cup team in 2015, Scott Harvey, and he shared a... <laughs> What did Harv have to say? Uh, Harvey said that when he was playing in the Masters, he spent a night in the in the crow's nest, and yes. he was up there by himself, or I think it was with someone else, and he went down to the locker room, and someone grabbed them a 12-pack of beer, and they sat up in the crow's nest and had a good old time. So I have to ask, you're a beer man. Did you spend any time in the crow's nest? I did, but not 
as much because uh time I was married and had a family and I brought them down and rented a house. So I think both times I just spent one night. And uh, the second time, I remember Hank Keeney stayed with us at our house. Okay. He didn't like that crow's nest. It may have been too confining for yeah, him. It's a small place. <laughs> but I did. I stayed. It, it's, a, you know, the history and it's a special place. And if I were would have been a younger man, not married with kids and had a family there, I would have stayed the entire time there. So when you played in the 97 Masters, I, obviously you played twice. You, you, you missed the cut both times, but I know, you have, we have, I know you have some phenomenal memories of not just playing in the tournament, but also your practice rounds. We'll definitely got to ask about that. But uh, I'm just curious, did you get a sense of what was happening there at the 97 Masters with Tiger just running away with it? Did you stay for the weekend, or did you kind of get out of town? I, I stuck around, but I didn't go, go out on the course much. I remember the, the first uh, opening round on Thursday was cold. Yeah. And Tiger, I think, had an early time, maybe earlier than me. I'm, you'd have to look that up. But it was cold, and he didn't do very well the front nine. If you if you look at that, you may be able to yeah, he went verify 40, that. He, yeah, he went 40 and then 30. I remember looking up, and someone said, man, Tiger's, well, he would have been 4 the next thing, <laughs> he, he goes 30, so there you have it. But I remember the being cold, and, and uh, I remember the rounds he shot, how phenomenal it was. The crowds, it was great. It was history. Absolutely. You win these two U.S. mid-amateur championships, and if I remember right, after that, you, you kind of took some time away from the game just because, I guess, as a, as a mid-amateur in your late 40s, early 50s, when you're entering that era, there's not a whole lot to probably play in because you're kind of in no man's land. So I it guess is. your gap between 98 and then getting the call to be a Walker Cup captain in 2015, what was your relationship with whether it's amateur golf or Indiana Golf Association or the USGA for that matter, what was kind of your interaction that maybe led to you getting the invite or did you even expect to get an invite to be the captain? I never really expected to. Uh, I never lobbied to. I don't know the process uh, to be a captain other than I know you need to show up and, and, and be interested and I always did. There's no secret sauce to being captain. I don't know how the captain's chosen. But I do know this, if you're interested and you're eligible by, by being a former player and, and remaining an amateur, then the only thing I can say is you need to go to all the Walker Cups and show an interest to be interested. And that's what I did. That's what I tell other people who ask me. Yeah. So 99, you play at Nairn. Uh, unfortunately, yes. you know, that that uh you know the u.s lost that to gb and i i know you partnered with uh, hunter haas and hunter haas yeah, hunter and i won both our matches as i recall yeah yeah i lost my singles to paul casey <laughs> that team was stacked the gb and i team you had luke donald you had casey you had simon dyson um yeah that team was was pretty stout obviously too much for us cooch cooch was our star player i don't know how he did but He's a heck of a guy. Good man. And then, Spider, in 2015, you get the call to become a U.S. Walker Cup captain. 
I know that that match uh, in 2015, we you know the U.S. team lost that, and then obviously the the massive uh, the dominant victory in 2017 at LACC. When you became captain, and I guess you can answer this for both 15 and 17, but when you became captain, what was the what was one thing that maybe you wanted your team to know about you f- right from the get go? Well, that's a good question, Ben, because I don't like to talk about myself. Oh, so I know, I know. I, I would say uh, I probably never talked about myself other than uh, I let them know what I expected. Right. And that wasn't really about me. It was just about what I expected them. And, and they. I had good groups both times. And the first team, I would say, because I was new and it, it, I didn't know what to expect, and I probably didn't keep the team as focused as I would have liked to the second time I did. And, uh, yeah, we may have gotten caught up in all the pomp and things, but nevertheless, we were soundly beaten. So I give the credit to them, to their team, Yeah, not, not to anything that we did or didn't do. I had a good team. We just got beat. Those things happen, you know, Ben. I, I know. You had guys on that 2015 team. Um, you know, we spoke about Harvey, and, and obviously, you know, I, I, I got to speak with Uncle Mike, and uh, and, yeah. and and Mike McCoy <laughs> said that you had nicknames for your guys. and I did. And Bryce, so let, let me see if we can run down the list. Bry, I know I already know that Bryce and DeChambeau, you called Bill Nye the science guy. You're right. And Scott Harvey was sweet swinging Scott Harvey. Sweet swinger. Uncle Mike. Bo Hostler. Bo Show. What about Maverick McNeely? Mav. What did we call him? Oh, I gave him two different names, but uh, some of them are escaping me now, Ben. That's you okay. Know, I'm, I'll think about it. I'll remember it midnight tonight. Uh, Want me to call you? Uh, of course. I'll be up. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so so you, you spoke about 15. Now, I, I have to, to tell you, I, I recently watched the closing ceremony speech that you gave in 2015, and I will I will repost that. And if anyone can watch that and, and keep it together, uh, good luck, because you obviously didn't, and it was a very emotional speech. Um, uh, what were some of the things that your team said to you after that speech and after that or during that evening Sunday after the matches were done? Well, I had a really good group of guys, and uh, we were beaten, and that's part of sport, as we all know. And, uh, you know, I don't lament the past, and I didn't expect them to. And uh, I told the guys that, you know what, this is behind you. You all have the, your next, uh, you know, most of them were turning pro, so they had their professional careers and those things to look forward to. And I wish them ever success, and uh, that's what we did. We didn't, we didn't go back and dwell on it. I just can't do that. You yeah. know, I just got to look through the windshield, not that rear view mirror. Of course, of so, course. So, yeah, it was, it was sad. You know, we came with great expectations, and, and generally, we're expected to win, not always, but generally. And, of course, uh, like I told my friend down in Gray before I went out and gave my speech, I had no idea what to say. I, I said, Downing, help me out here, pal. I said, the only thing I ever thought about was my acceptance speech. Right, right. <laughs> my thought to us getting whipped. But however it came out, it came out. I don't really remember all of it, except for I congratulated them 
for for beating us. Uh, we didn't uh, do anything wrong necessarily. We were just out playing, and that's what happens. Yeah. You can't win every time. And if there was any fault, then uh, then it was mine. It's no different than the company. If the company's not doing well, I had a great group of guys, you know, and I stay in touch with them as much as I can. I send notes uh, when they do well. I'll send them a text. They have a, they've gone on. A lot of them got married. They're all doing great. Though. I'm proud of them all. Yeah, they are. They are. A lot of that team is doing fantastic. Whether it's the professional ranks or the uh, the amateur ranks, uh, I know that Harvey picked up the uh, U.S. Four Ball Championship in 2019. Yes. So he's doing great. Harvey's and, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a lot of fun to talk to. He uh, he really likes Cracker Barrel for some reason, but he. Uh, he's he's a good guy so you so you get the call again it looks like uh you know kind of a thing that the the usga is doing with uh with walker cup captains you know you get you get two reigns you know one one abroad and one at home so in 2017 you're at lacc you mentioned maybe you thought you know maybe you would have had them maybe prepared a little bit earlier in the week for for the uh for the matches so for 2017 one of the things that you really wanted to focus on is letting them when they're playing alternate shot, not to be so not to have the partner engaged in the shot process while the partner, the other partner is hitting it. Can you kind of speak to maybe where that came from or how that became uh, an important part of your, your captaincy? Well, I can tell you that uh, at 2015, we didn't do so well in the alternate shot. And I was talking to my, my buddy, Jimmy Dunn, and I said, you know, something, there's something that's amiss here. There's, I mean, it just defies common sense that we would traditionally win singles, but we traditionally lose uh, foursomes points. Golf, it's still good. And he says, you know, I watched him, and, and he did. He probably was able to watch uh, in a manner that I wasn't. He says, our guys go back and they talk to each other. They conference on the tee. And he said, their guys, they just, they just go back and hits a shot. And the next guy is, is ready to go hit it. And I said, well, it makes so much common sense to me that we are conferencing. And that's not something that we do when we play metal play. We're not used to having someone back there on a the tee saying, oh, leave me on the right side of the fairway. Or, right. Leave me. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. So, so uh, Jimmy gave me the idea. It was not mine. I hell, I haven't had an original thought in my life. <laughs> but um, so I did it, and it worked great. And I would. I don't know. I didn't necessarily pay attention to how uh, this last team did it, but it worked for us. I can tell you. And the guy, then the guy hitting the drive, he's in his own thoughts. And the guy that's going to hit the second shot, he, he doesn't walk back to the tee. He stays, and he gets ready to think about hitting that second shot. So as soon as it's hit, he starts walking to his ball. The guy who hit the drive, he walks on around and gets ready to putt, hopefully, or chip sometimes. But So you, you focus on your shot. You don't focus on your partner's shot. You see what I'm saying? No, it makes it makes perfect sense, and I'm wondering if that's something that maybe we should see on the Ryder Cup at some point, or maybe the President's Cup. Well, I am not 
uh, privy or part of it, but I can tell you it worked for me. And it, it just makes common sense. When Jimmy pointed it out, I said, God, Jimmy, that makes so much sense. There's something we always typically do somehow is is not working. Well, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I was just going to start to interrupt. I was just going to say that that makes sense. You know, I, you know, a lot of our listeners play four ball and we play, you know, alternate or not alternate shot, but, but best ball. And you see them maybe talking about a putt, like, Hey, you know, what do you see here? I, yeah. you know, is it left edge? You know, that's, that's a pretty straightforward thing to bring a partner in for, but maybe that's yes. something that our listeners can kind of take away that, Hey, at the very, very top of the amateur ranks, you're telling the best 10 amateurs in the country to, Hey, leave that guy alone. Let him hit a shot. I moved on to the next shot in my mind. If I missed a, a putt, it was gone. I didn't care. I was moving on to the next shot. So maybe the fact that the partner goes back and the conversation disrupts their thought. I don't know, but I know they're used to, you know, going to the tee with their own thoughts, yeah. getting right at the shot that they see the way they see it. So anyway, Jimmy, I give JD, you know, the great Jimmy Dunn. I know the great Jimmy Dunn, and I, I know that. Uh, he took a cigar out of his mouth long enough to tell me that. <laughs> um, can you, I, I, I guess, <laughs> uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, well, let me, okay, so we talk about 2015. Let's, let's talk about the complete different scenario that you had in, in 2017. Um, you know, basically almost a flip because, you know, you lose in 15, 16 and a half to nine and a half. Then you win in 2017, 19 to seven, a massively dominant victory. You took your lessons from 15 to 17. You had them play, you know, separately. What was that experience like having a captaincy under your belt in 2015 and then going to LA? I mean, that had to be just a completely different experience. It was, um, I think. I knew what to expect, so there was not much that was unknown. And uh, I had Maverick McNeely, who had played on the team prior. He was kind of my co-captain, you might say. Sure. And uh, we received our focus better, and uh, we had a good schedule. We went to, we didn't, you know, I always arranged some fun things, and I wanted to take them on an aircraft carrier. And... Uh, we would have had to go to San Diego. It could have been done, but it would have been too much. But we went to the Reagan Library. We yeah. went and saw the space shuttle. Really nice thing. And I give the credit to my friend Dick Schertz, who, who mentioned it to me. We went to the Valley Club. And um, we played, uh, and they had the entire membership come out. And we played long, we played our long term, played each other. They announced the players on the tee and uh, it was really tastefully done and it got the guys in tournament mode and uh, I think that helped a lot but we retained our focus a little better and didn't get sidetracked with some of the things that you can sure well I've always been an advocate of playing three days I was told to be quiet about it before but I can say what I want absolutely it makes no sense to me that we have the course and the kids, all they want to play. We should have a best ball component and play three days. And that's the hard part is you, it's like you're holding, uh, I like the horse races. It's like you hold your horse at the gate for an extra five minutes rather than 
they get to the gate and they're out. And we, we bring these guys on for the week and it's practice, practice, all this pomp and circumstance. And then you only play two days. Makes no sense to me, but I'm not running the show. <laughs> so you're saying make it more like the Ryder Cup where it's like it's, it's, it's two sessions on Friday, two sessions on Saturday, and then one session on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Three days. Yeah. That's the hard part to do is to keep the guys at the gate uh, and keep them focused. That was the hardest thing, I thought. Okay. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I think I remember uh, talking to a couple of the guys on your 17 team, and they, they made the comment that right around Tuesday, whether it was you that said it or Maverick McNeely that said it, they are like, okay, it's time to get serious. It's time to get started. Yes. Yep. Yeah, was, and we did. Yeah, absolutely you did. Yeah, you won 19 to 7. You had three players go undefeated 4-0. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that of, of how successful that team is. You know, Gim and McNeely and Morikawa bring home 12 points out of the 19 and you had guys on that team that were just, you know, studs. You yep. have you know, you got Zalatoris and Hagestad and and um Cam Champ. Cam Champ. Yeah, I mean two-time PJ Tour runner Norman John. Norman won three and tied one. Right, he exactly. Four and up. Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Well, you know, I did speak to Zalatoris a little while ago and he did. Are you done? Yeah, I did. And he did, you know, he told me this <laughs> fantastic story of the Valley Club about Doc Redman. And um I I you know, that's the funny aspect of it, but I want to hear, you know, sh- can you share that story from your perspective when the the guys roll in after, you know, just destroying the Valley Club with shooting in the early, in the low 60s, and then Doc comes in. So <laughs> can you share that story? Well, I'm not entirely certain which story uh, Will told you about uh, Doc, but <laughs> docked up the top of the Walker Cup trophy. That's the part I remember. Put a big dent in it. I didn't know that one. I was referring to the one where he came in and, and said, I'm Doc Redman. I'm from Clemson, and I shot 84 today. <laughs> oh, he did. He did. He did do that. I forgot about that. I'd love him. He didn't, but he said that. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know he broke the top of the Walker Cup trophy, man. We're getting, yeah, a, lot, I'm getting a lot of good. I'm getting a lot of good stuff on Doc Redman. I can't wait to get him on this podcast. Doc's a good man. He's doing great, by the way. Yes, he uh, is. Yeah, he's he's absolutely doing great. The whole team's doing great. Uh, true or false? Someone threw you in the pool celebrating after 2017. Yeah, I was tossed in several times. <laughs> and sad fact about my size is that any one of the guys could single handedly toss me in. So, so I think Colin threw me in once or twice. I'm not sure Norman. They all pitched me in, oh. but it was fun. It felt good. I bet it did. Um, I know you're going to go hit some balls. I want to ask you just one last question. One of your great friends was was Arnold Palmer, and you were able to to play some golf with him, probably many times, and as friends. But I know that you were able to play practice rounds with him at Augusta National during your, your master's experience. Have you ever played a more nerve-wracking round of golf than that? Well, that was the first time I, I met Arnold in 97. We played a practice round. It, Fuzzy arranged it, so it was Fuzz and I played uh, Arnold and Jack. So <laughs> play, play hard, Spider. <laughs> I told Fuzz, I said, man, something's happened. He said, what's the matter? 
you know, he's got that cigarette going. And I said, somebody sucked all the air out of this place. I said, I can hardly breathe. But my best story with, with Buzz and Arnold is, uh, we played the par three together, the three of us. And, and I sometimes forget which year things happen, but so we start out and, and they always play, uh, uh, thousand dollar hole in ones. You with me? I'm with you. So we're going to play thousand dollar hole in ones. So early on, I can't remember what hole. I hit some skanky shot up there and it damn near went in. And then uh, Arnold uh, had a few good ones. But anyway, so we get around to the last, and Arnold and I are sitting on the bench and Fuzz is waggling over the ball. And he pulls up off of the shot and he turns around to us and he says, Get your money out, boys. I'm making this one. Pop, pop, sucks that thing right back, went in the hole. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I won't tell you what Arnold said. He said that lucky so-and-so. <laughs> and uh, I just put my head down. I said that lucky son of a gun. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we're walking across there, and the crowd is going wild. In fact, Arnold about made his. Arnold came close to making his because, you know, they put it in the bowl. Of course, yeah. And uh, he, he, he rolled it by the lip. Mine, I probably missed the green. I don't remember but uh, we're walking over there, and I said, to Fuzz, I said, ma'am, I said, I'll pay you in the locker room. I don't think it'd be very smart for me to pay you out here. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, watch what I do to Arnold. Oh, so he gets Arnold out in front of everybody on the green and puts his hand out. And of course, Arnold's got a big knot. He peels off uh, 10 100s. And my little boy, Frankie, was uh, caddying, and he still has some Fuzz signed him and gave Gave two of them to, to him. He was about knee high. Oh, wow. And then, so we go in the locker room. Next morning's first round, I get to the to the golf course and the locker room. Guy says, Mr. Palmer wants to see you in the champion's locker room. I said, me? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go up there. <laughs> He's a little sitting on the bench putting his shoes on. He said, is that mine? I said, you two Indiana guys didn't cut me up, did you? He said, I never saw you pay fuss. <laughs> <laughs> so from that point on, every time Fuzzy would would see Arnold, he'd tell him, he said, you know, I gave Spider 500 of that money of yours. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I know you did. I know you Indiana guys. <laughs> that's uh, that's absolutely perfect. Oh, what a, what a uh, great we story. We had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with Arnold, and I miss him dearly. He was uh, he was a great pal, a great man. Uh, he was the best. I'm not sure there'll be another one like him. I hope there is, but I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. I know uh, I'll get you out of here with this last question. I know you said previously that, you know, being named captain of the Walker Cup was kind of your last go-around in, in amateur golf. But you're, yes. you're But you're getting ready to go hit some balls this afternoon. What are some things maybe you want to accomplish or achieve or, you know, what, what does golf look like for you uh, moving forward? What do you, what do you want to do with golf? I'm tired of getting beat by these guys like Jimmy Dunn. I'll okay. tell you that right now. I had all about all that I could take. <laughs> Not my game. <laughs> I slipped a few notches. So <laughs> I'm, I'm working on my game. 
it's it's a life pursuit, as you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, how how much fun are the uh, now? You got to get together with the previous captains. I know that that's something you're able to do. How I mean, that's kind of like the it's almost like an amateur version of a champions dinner, so to speak. So, what's that like when you get in a room with all the former Walker Cup captains? Well, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of history and a lot of good guys. And uh, I mostly listen. I'm not much of a talker. So we have a few that will do the talking and I'll do the listening. So it works out good. I appreciate you talking with me today. And I know that everyone enjoys listening to you because your stories are fantastic and your, your enthusiasm for the, the game is fantastic. I will make sure that people listening follow along on uh, on our Instagram page and, and our YouTube page because I want them to see your speech in 2015. It's absolutely incredible and moving and it just shows how much the walker cup uh and amateur golf means to you so i'm glad you're able to join us today go hit him straight go go get polished up for for jimmy dunn and and hopefully we'll be able to catch up again soon all right ben well thank you so much and i appreciate all you do for the game and there you have it special thanks to spider miller for joining us here on our 100th episode at the back of the range golf podcast remember Leave reviews in Apple Podcast. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for supporting this podcast for the first 100 episodes. Let's do 100 more. We'll see you next week here at the Back of the Range.